Hello and welcome everyone. Thank you for listening in on the I Hate the Antichrist podcast. This is your host, Awe. I am joined with Bobby Joe. How you doing? I'm good. Thank you for having me. How are you doing? I am doing fantastically. As always, I like to start off my podcast with a big thanks. Thank you for coming on. Um, I appreciate you. Uh, why don't you let our guests know who the hell are you and what the hell are you doing here? <laughs> well, you invited me here, mister. <laughs> yeah, um... <laughs> but I want you to explain yourself. All right. Let me see what I can do that's not too rambly. I do tend to ramble, so you can tell me to that's, shut up anytime. That's fine. It's a podcast. <laughs> So um, I'm Bobby Joe, and I have been, um, I guess I'm, I'm a Minnesota native. I've been in Minnesota my whole life. I currently live in St. Paul, and I, um, I freelance a, a, across a, a few things. I would like to hopefully get maybe, maybe start get a career in food. I'm not sure. I'm undecided. Um, that's where I'm at right now. I'm also self-employed. I have been since... Um, 1999 is when I started on the side of full-time work looking for a way to start of being my own boss. And then in 2005, I quit my job and just basically never looked back since then. Um, I've had a handle on, I would say my main discipline is web admin, whether that's, um, administering, uh, web servers or, um, websites themselves basically with a, just a discipline in uh, Linux-based uh, operating system websites, not Windows or anything like that. And mm-hmm. my main thing that I've been doing the last few years is mostly WordPress and WooCommerce. So um, packaging for companies, you know, small businesses usually come to me and my business partner that want to be hosted. And then so we host them and then um, if they don't already have a website set up, we help them set that up. And so it's just kind of like an offering, sort of a turnkey, sort of here's your website, here's how to get in it, here's how to manage it. And then um, in addition to that, I take care of all the updates. So it's like our company is sort of like a managed WordPress. Yeah. And managed WordPress and managed hosting. We, we lease two servers currently. So we have about 80 websites and the new server is still getting ready to be leased and Aside from that, I'm um, well into my 40s, <laughs> and um, let's see, I, I'm, I do have a garden, but it's not a gigantic thing. I, I'm, I would describe myself as pretty urban. Um, I live a mile from the downtown St. Paul, so right by the Capitol, and this little strip of backyard in, in, in the backyard, the part of the place that I rent is dedicated to a few vegetable plants, and that's... That's where I'm at right now. So well, every garden's a work in progress at some point. I mean, well, this uh, is my like first, so Oh, there you go. Well, um, I'm sure you're gonna get a lot of really good crops out of there. <laughs> the main reason I brought you Maybe. on was to talk about the theme of the episode today, the Pharaoh's curse, or or that's what I like to call diseases of civilization. Absolutely. Um, so I mostly invited you on because I know about your book. Um, so why don't you tell me just a little bit about your cookbook? So I created an, an, e- an ebook recipe book um, back in 2018, um, sort of at the mostly at the demand of friends and supporters, because I was mm-hmm. always posting my recipes on social media. And at the time, me and my gang were on Google Plus, which is like oh, the yeah. nerdiest sector of, of social media that no longer exists. That's just the YouTube account system now. Uh, yeah. And and it's funny, I get comments still all the time on, on YouTube when I comment on like, say, I don't know, Michael Malice videos or something. People reply, they're like, why are you verified? Like, well, I was verified on Google, which, <laughs> you know, doesn't exist anymore. And they're like, ah, ha, ha, 15 people were on Google. But anyway, long story short, I had um, a lot of community support over there for my recipes that I started posting because I've always been interested in cooking like you. I'm kind of a, a foodie. I'm always mm-hmm. interested in um, what can I take, what can I do with this ingredient or, you know, something that's sort of unconventional, but also, I mean, obviously you and I both are into keto, but yes. I didn't really give my origin story on that and I won't yet, but basically at the behest of these It's people, on the list. 
basically at the behest of these people and the requests of these people. And so I put that together and just kind of loosely organized it on a collection of all the things that I had posted. So it was like the book had already written itself. There you go. Um, what I did was I exported all the data. <laughs> this is the nerdiest thing ever. I exported all the data from all my posts using a, a, an API slash RSS type of setup. And mm -hmm. then um, once I did that, had everything into a Google Sheet, and then the Google Sheet basically formed the, the structure of the ebook. And so the ebook is a collection of 150 plus um, recipes that are all low carb and ketogenic friendly for people who are diabetic like me or people who are just interested in cutting out the carbs from their regular dietary consumption. And just kind of also a lot of them are kind of just near and dear to me because they're sort of like remakes of family favorites, a lot mm -hmm. of soups, a lot of salads. Um, I'd say it's really vegetable heavy considering um, what kind of like um, the kind of carnivorous kind of oriented lifestyle I have now. So in retrospect, it seems like just a lot of veggies, but um, I, I, I would, I would say I, I was probably more veggie back then than I am now. So, and then the book of course is very organized and it's not like one of those, you're not getting, you know, this nice big weighty coffee table, you know, gorgeous collectors thing. It's just some pages have pictures and some don't. And the ones that do, they're, they're not very big and some of them are kind of small, but it's more of a, it's more of a collection of things that, you know, you're not going to see commonly on like Instagram. There's a lot of stuff in there that I made um, myself and then didn't really have a name for it. So I kind of had to give it a name. <laughs> um, and like I said, yeah. there's a lot of things in there that I just remade from things that I grew up eating. Um, so that's basically- Do you have any favorites? Pardon me? Have any favorite recipes? Yeah. So one of my favorite recipes in there, and I don't even eat collard greens much anymore, but I'm most sort of proud of that recipe. It's a, it's an instant pot sort of pressure cooker recipe for collard greens with bacon. Um, and I'm a northerner, so I'm sure any southerner who eats it might be like, nah, bitch, you know, like this ain't right. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I, I'm not trying to be like earning Southern cred or anything, but I just think Based on my one time eating collard greens in Tennessee, I thought that I could recreate something like that. And um, yeah, so I would say that was probably my most, um, one of my most favorites. And basically just for the simple fact, because I would come back from the market, farmer's market and I would just have just bundles and bundles of collard greens. I mean, I was like, you know, this, the part of, part of the old, what is that old Shakespeare <sighs> Was it Macbeth with the <laughs> big giant fronds? <laughs> I don't know. Um, so I come back home and I... Palm fronds. Yeah, exactly. Come back home and trying to figure out what to do with these. And I realized, you know, basically most people just make collard greens. And I was really proud of that because I used like, um, I used bone broth that I made myself. And it was just really kind of a down to earth sort of almost kind of gartenish. <laughs> Mm -hmm. um so that was probably my favorite and then my other favorite would probably be um my homemade mayo because i make it every week almost homemade mayo is a classic literally Very easy takes to do. i mean it literally takes less than two minutes for me to make and it's it's uh if you have an immersion blender and you can afford yes. one please get one i know it's I, i'm so kind of into prepping and survivalist mode and like trying to be more minimalist and less reliant on gritty things, but, but mm -hmm. my immersion blender, boy, I tell you, I can do so much with it. Uh Oh, did I lose you? So I guess those would be my two favorite. Probably Suddenly says you're so. offline. Whatever you got to do. Sorry. I don't know what's wrong with my Wi-Fi, but it did go out. Hey, no problem. We'll just move on to the uh, next question. Yeah. And um, am I, cutting out in and out at all when I started. no no that okay. that was the only problem we've had so far so I've got my studio mic here and I really get mad sometimes at it if it's not <laughs> no problem um so you uh got into keto it sounds like from being diabetic in the first place um yeah so how'd that happen the thing is is like I I grew up in the 70s and 80s um mm -hmm. when 
the low fat, fat free craze was sort of almost at its peak. I think fat free yes. craze was at its peak at like probably mid to late eighties as everything was fat free. And I was like, really? You gotta tell me that Twizzlers are fat free? <laughs> Seriously, I did not think of Twizzlers as being pretty greasy or anything. Just so okay, so my dad had his first heart attack in I think it was eighty eight or eighty nine. And then he had his second one in like 91 or 92. I'm probably wrong about both of those dates, but I, the reason I say that is because I was, I had a choir concert. It was a big one and he couldn't be there. And I still had to go because it was part of my grade. It's school. It's not, you know, fun yeah. stuff. It was school. And the second one he had, um, he was just had just having recovered and was just coming home on the day of my sister's graduation from high school. Um, and it's weird because his doctor, you know, he's like wagging his finger and saying things like, I'm sending you home with this, you know, dietary protocol documentation and all this fancy stuff. And, you know, no more eggs, no more butter. No, don't eat red meat. This and that and the other thing. And it's really weird because in retrospect, I mean, I was a teenager, so I didn't, I didn't really have a say and I didn't, we didn't, there wasn't a family discussion. It was just mom made the switches and that was the end of it. Right. So yeah. in retrospect, I think back and I'm thinking, well, we didn't really eat a whole lot of red meat, like maybe some hamburger here and there. And once in a great while, my mom would get liver because my dad liked liver. And sometimes we'd have a steak, like kind of as a treat. And maybe once a month, he would grill out in the backyard, you know, something like that. Yeah. Um, and we weren't, we didn't sit around and eat eggs and butter all day long. It was just confusing because we ate what we were told to eat, basically. Yeah. You know, oatmeal and, you know, whole grain cereal, quote unquote. Quote unquote, heart healthy grains. Exactly. Yes, and, yes. You know, we didn't actually eat butter. My, my household had margarine in it since before I was born. That was the thing that people were, if people in the 50s started eating margarine, right? So anyway, yeah. if you put all that together and you put it the way I grew up, um, and back to my comment about sort of veggie heavy, my parents had a garden. A couple years they didn't have one the whole the whole time I grew up but they did have one and they tried their hand at a few things you know wax beans green beans you know turnips spinach all this kind of stuff you know and so my sister and I sort of just started to like vegetables so it's just what our parents fed us there were certain things we didn't care for but for the most part we ate our vegetables and I still like that to this day i will sit down and eat a whole bunch of cabbage knowing what's going to happen to me later and then i get mad <laughs> you know at gas and everything else but i guess the point i'm trying to make here is that it wasn't like you know we were eating the worst we were doing what we were told um yeah you know things like special k or you know like i said margarine things like that instead of cooking with butter or instead of doing this or we didn't have lard in the house. I mean, that was something like maybe my grandma had. Um, if we wanted to cook something, you know, with fat, we would use like vegetable oil, you know, like yes, um, Crisco mm -hmm. or, or Wesson or whatever gold colored stuff in the bottle that, you know, was that we were told to eat. And we ate a ton of fruit. Oh, my God. We had fruit in the house all the time. I mean, there was no fruit that I didn't like. Um, except I wasn't really fond of bananas. I still kind of, <laughs> after about two bites, it's like, yeah, I'm good. The texture kind of just gets to me. I can't do it. They make my mouth itch if they're too raw. Yeah, I, no doubt. Uh, anyway, so, so that whole kind of thing is probably how I landed where I did. I, yeah, I did. I did eat what I was told was healthy, but I also probably ate too much of it. Cause it's really hard mm -hmm. to satisfy yourself sometimes on that kind of regimen. Um, yes, exactly. Your leptin increases are insane and you can't hit that satiation level you need to hit. If people don't sit down and tell you the cold hard fact that protein is what we need and fat is what we need and all this other stuff is superfluous for the most part. Yes. You can eat it if you want, but in moderation is better. And yes. nobody tells you this because when you're in seventh grade home ec, there's whole days about grains and vitamins and minerals and nobody ever talks about, Hey, see this thing. This is part of a cow. Do you know what it is? It's a liver and you know, it's really gross, but here's some ways you can fix it because our bodies need it. 
No, yes. we never had that discussion. We had this whole story time about scurvy and lemons and I'm like, really? <laughs> I mean, so there's all this stuff that I had to relearn. And, yeah. and even though I ate that kind of stuff, I did have a few years where I was, you know, coming out of college and had my first job and all this other stuff. And, and when I was trying to get my business off the ground, or maybe I had a case of ramen in the cupboard for the week to eat. You know, there was, there was times like that when we were all in our twenties at one point where we had to rough it and not really take care of our health. And maybe we went out drinking and had beer and pizza with our friends who paid for it, of course. Um, but for the most part, I would say I ate quote unquote healthy. Um, okay. Yeah. And so. And, so and how I, did the actual diabetes diagnosis come around from that past? So I had an injury on my leg from years ago and funny story i'm sure everybody's gonna love this i basically went down a few steps on an escalator on my knees have you ever Ooh. seen what an escalator looks like it's got yeah. these claws and i was wearing, i was coming home from i was coming on i was on my way home from uh um a seminar that i went to for my for it was a tech industry seminar i was working for myself and i was wearing this is in the <laughs> late nineties, almost 2000. And I don't know if you remember that era and people on TV, mm -hmm. like friends and stuff, they always, these girls would wear these gigantic, chunky black shoes. Yes. That I was wearing a pair of those and I had like, um, just like business slacks on, but they were knit. So they weren't like denim or anything. Mm -hmm. It was just like, it's like almost like a thick t-shirt material. So I'm wearing that. And I, I don't know what happened, but my tote bag on my shoulder started to slide so I reached to grab it and then for some reason I didn't have my hand on my other hand on the big giant rubber escalator rail I didn't have it on there very tightly and I slipped and I almost went over on my heels but instead of falling backwards I jumped forward and that's when I surfed down about four steps of an escalator there uh, yeah and this is in like a very crowded business plaza type place. And oh so my God. almost nobody really noticed except the couple people that were standing right behind me and right in front of me. And they're like, are you okay? And I'm like, I calm my breath and I get up and I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. And it's, I, I, I was shaken. Right. And it hurt, mm -hmm. but I thought, well, that was just like a near miss. Like I could have, I could have bit it. I could have crashed my head. I could have, you know, I could have died from a concussion, something like that. I get on a bus and I'm just like, it, that really hurt, right? But it felt like mm -hmm. a giant scratch. It didn't feel like anything else. I get home and my pants were both bled through and just my legs were both swelling. Like when mm -hmm. you hit something and really swells up. Yes. Um, it took probably four or five years for that to finally heal. But I was fine. I didn't have fracture or anything like that. And anyway, so fast forward to like eight years later <laughs> and this these claw marks that I had on my legs that were so gross to look at for so long were basically white memories at this point. And one of them did leave an indentation and it was kind of gross to look at like a pockmark. If you've ever seen a pockmark. Yeah. Definitely. sort of kind of like a hollowed out claw mark on my leg. Yeah. But unless you're standing like a few feet from me, you would never have seen it. Anyway, one of those decided to open up and started just like, it was like, um, no, it was like, um, it was like, um, you know, when you sweat, it's not yeah. like you're, it's not like you're bleeding sweat. You're just, it's coming out of you. This was yeah. like water that was just seeping out of my leg. It wasn't like bleeding or anything like that. It was just oh like, my gosh. yeah, it was like that part of my leg kind of like turned into a duct of some kind. It was no, there what? was no hole. There was no. It was like a shunt kind of. Yeah. Almost like just water just come coming out of it. And I couldn't figure out why my leg was dripping. Um, and I was working for myself full time. I had no insurance. This was back in 2007 and I let it go for so long because I just, what was I going to do? The thing is, is I went to a, a quote unquote free clinic when I was engaged to my ex. He, he took me there once because we thought maybe I had strep. It was just miserable. It was a day where I couldn't swallow. And mm -hmm. it was, this is a couple of years before all this. 
before the leg thing, not before the escalator thing. And lo and behold, I didn't have strep. I just, I guess I just had a, a cold and a sore throat. And I'm not the kind of person who gets sick a lot, probably, gosh, it feels like it's been about six years since I've been, been sick. But anyway, the point is, um, I went in to see this guy. It took me an hour total from leaving the house to coming out of the office. Um, he handed me some lozenges after checking with a dipstick, you know, whatever you call it, tongue depressor. Yeah. You don't have strep. Reached in the closet, hands me some samples, doesn't even charge me for the samples. And he's like, you're fine. Just go home and gargle with salt water to help with the, you know, sore throat. You don't have a fever. You probably just have a bit of a, a cold, you know? Mm -hmm. And I did have a fever later, but the point is, a few months later, I got a bill from this 20 minute visit and it was for $94 and some odd cents. And mm -hmm. I was like, okay. <laughs> so now this whole leg thing is happening. You think I want to go see the doctor if it's my yeah. So, I mean, obviously I was working for myself. I wasn't successful. I was just making my bills. That's it. I didn't have fun money. I didn't, it wasn't in the black, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't in the red and I wasn't profiting hardcore. I wasn't going to go into a hospital and like try to figure out what's wrong with my leg. I let it go and I let it go and I let it go. And I had a lot of other stuff going on in my life at the same time. My dad had been put into a nursing home that year. Um, my ex and I broke up that year um, after two years of engagement. Just a lot was going on in my life. And this seemed really minor. And about three months later, I had woken up with body aches and probably the worst kind of flu-like symptoms I thought I would ever have with um, fever, just major body aches. And my leg was infected. Like my whole leg was just like a rash, like a hive. Wow. And I didn't know what was going on. And um, I got over that <laughs> and I kept on plowing through. <laughs> I mean, I was in my late twenties, early thirties. I just, I, I thought other than this one little thing, I thought I took pretty good care of myself, but clearly I wasn't because what was going on? You know, I didn't know. My mom said, well, you know, you, me and you and your mom, my mom and her mom, we all have a history of edema in our family, which mm -hmm. for people who maybe not, not be aware, it's just a excessive water retention, which mm -hmm. I've sort of fixed since then. But anyway, the point is, um, I let it go for too long. Finally, it got so infected that I had to go and see somebody because the pain was unbearable. I couldn't stand. I couldn't do anything. It was just like, I would say it was about the size of a quarter. And it just looked mm -hmm. like, you know, when you have a scab when you're little and you peel it off <laughs> like a dumbass. It's what it looked like. It wasn't like, you know. Interesting. Yeah. It wasn't like my leg turned black or anything gross like that. It was just. Um, so it kind of looked like an open, fresh wound kind of deal. Yeah. And I mean, it was infected. I mean, there was some, you know, if you, if you pushed on it or something, there would be some stuff coming out of it. So I went into the ER and it was the 4th of July weekend. Um, and that's why I put it off too. I didn't want to go in the holiday, but I had no choice. It was really bad. Sitting in the ER, I probably was there about eight hours. Um, and I come back home and I get, it. basically they put, you know, colloidal silver or silvadine cream mm -hmm. and then yep. bandaged me up and then treat they also treated me for uh, candida which i had mm -hmm. really bad for years off and on before this which is not very comfortable for women it's pretty <laughs> it's pretty horrible actually it's just like the worst burning and itching ever i didn't have discharge or anything gross like that it was just like just Awful. really really intense burning all the time yeah and so I just thought, well, I guess I'm just, you know, getting old or whatever. I don't know. It, you know, the internet's in its infancy <laughs> still. Mm -hmm. um, there's not a lot of, there's no WebMD. There's nothing like that ever. I mean, YouTube was even like, what, a year old back then? Yeah, 2007, so, 2006 yeah. is when so, it started. And, and the fact that, you know, I didn't have insurance and all this other stuff. I just, I was just being ignorant. Um, so you go to the doctor. So I go to the doctor. I'm basically in wound care as an outpatient. I'm in there every week and they're debriding this thing and they're, um, putting me in a boot, which is a plaster. That's like from your toes yeah. to your knees. It looks mm -hmm. like a cast, but it's pliable, but it also compresses and treats the wound at the same time. 
and yes. I'm in and out of there for weeks. I can't go swimming with my friends. I can't do this. I can't do that. I can hardly walk in it. Um, after so many weeks, my wound nurse looks at me under, you know, with her, with her over her glasses, you know, like an old lady. And she's like, you know, this is starting to really tick me off. I'm like, what? And she's like, this is not healing the way I want it to. And I'm like, okay. And, and she said, you're, 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 you're on your second course of a different antibiotic. We're still having this problem. She said, I want to get tested for diabetes. Mm-hmm. And there we are. Um, not only did I have diabetes, I had like <laughs> the worst kind you could ever get. <laughs> um, my first reading sitting down with a nurse and a meter was 325 blood sugar. A normal, a normal person shouldn't exceed 140 after a meal. <sighs> and a normal person um, during a non-prandial or pre-meal would be between probably 80, 70, 75 to 95, depending on the person. Um, so you were what, three times over yeah. standard, basically. Yeah. And my A1C measured at 11%. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so long story short, that's, that's uh, the day that I found out I was diabetic. And okay. Yeah. So Sorry for the really gross story leading up to that. But, <laughs> no problem. That um, was, that was an interesting story. Well, I think it's, it's important for people to understand there's a lot of stuff that can happen to you before you know yes. what's happening. And yeah. um, obviously I was clumsy. Obviously I didn't always eat the right stuff. Um, obviously I have a family history to take into account with a lot of things. My dad was also diabetic. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, he had a type of Alzheimer's, uh, a dementia called PICS syndrome mm, okay and um i'm pretty sure that it's safe to call alzheimer's type 3 diabetes type 3 um so he had a pretty I agree. bad before he was even 50 something we lost him before he turned 60 wow so. that's that's sad i'm sorry to hear that yeah well um let's see here well once you got into diet into knowing you had diabetes and how did you discover that keto would put it into remission and how did you decide to end up tackling it with keto it took me almost 10 years of several different kinds of medication insulin failed medications more insulin more failed medications more insulin mm-hmm. before i found keto I was on. How'd you come across it? I well, I'll tell you. I was on over a hundred units of insulin a day, two different kinds. I was taking uh, Lantus, which is a a pen style injection injection instead of the vial, which is more fast mm-hmm. action, fast acting, uh, no novelin or yeah. So and then I was also on what's called Victoza, which is a smaller dose and that was a a fast acting. So I was on a. I was on a long release and a, a slow release and a fast release type of insulin. And I kept doing what the doctor told me. And the doctor would keep handing me these pamphlets and saying, you know, here's what to eat. And it's really funny because the classes that I would go to way across town with strangers and really nice people. But the information that we would come home with was confusing because it was basically the same stuff that we were told all our life to eat. Mm-hmm. Um and so it's like well okay so now how do i fix what happened to me so then i kept thinking well it's (laughs) it's the medicine it's the medicine i'm just doing it wrong they're not giving me the right medicine or maybe i'm not taking it at the right time or or maybe this or maybe that you know and it's like it keeps coming back to like are you crazy you think to yourself am i going crazy yeah, you feel like you're being gaslit it's insane exactly and i'm i'm talking to my doctor and she's like, no, you know, if you eat too much protein, it's going to, you know, it's going to convert into glucose, you know? So, so if you have a higher read, cause one time I called her, I'm like, my readings are still high and I don't understand. I'm taking X amount, you know, milligrams of this and I'm taking this and I'm doing this. I'm timing it the way we discussed. I was checking, you know, I was reporting to her like every three weeks or something or every four weeks by email. Mm-hmm. You can just like send an email with your readings. And then, you know, you still have to go in every three to six months for like a follow-up, a physical follow-up. So it was just frustrating because I, here I am doing what I'm told again. And 
the whole time, nothing's changing. Like it's literally the definition of insanity. You know, you're doing the same thing, expecting a different result. And yeah. every time I would go to the doctor and say, well, this is what I'm eating. This is what my readings look like. This is how I'm sleeping. Here's my stress level. And she'll say things, well, I, I noticed you're eating more of this or more of that. And she's like, you know, you know, too much protein can spike you too. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll just cut that down then. So here I was eating all the stuff that I was told was healthy all my life. You know, I would have oatmeal for breakfast in the morning. And mm -hmm. by 10 o'clock, I was ravenous. Yep. I thought to myself, well, this is, this is good for me. This is what the doctor told my dad to have, blah, blah, blah it's, it's almost like, and there was so much else going on in my life that I just never sat down and like hit myself upside the head and went, Oh my God, something is really wrong. I just mm -hmm. kept doing it. And how did I come into keto? I'll tell you. Um, just the month before I actually went dove for head first was, um, when I reported, I reported my income to, um, the state for, because at the, because between the time that I started my business and the time that I went keto, I was considered low income. And so I would use, uh, Medicaid. I would, mm -hmm. I would get the state sponsored quote unquote healthcare, um, for people who are poor, basically. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not, I wasn't ever really poor. I paid my bills and I just didn't have like fun money. I just mm -hmm. consider myself very frugal and thrifty. And even to this day, you'd probably be like, oh my God, you only make that much? Like, I'm happy though. I'm not worried about that. My whole point is I reported my income as higher than normal and, and gave my projections. And they sent me a letter saying, okay, great. We need to enroll you with the state, with the um, state healthcare, uh, whatever they call it, healthcare exchange market. And mm -hmm. it's called, it was called, um, MN care or something like that. So I go and I log in and this is basically our state's version of Obamacare. I go in, I log in and I'm setting up my plan. And the best I can find is, um, uh, $1,800 deductible, I think. And then the, you had to pay in like 5,000 in a year before you could get 80% of your stuff covered. So up until then it would be like 20% of everything covered. Jesus. Yeah. And like I said, it was the best I could do. Most of the plans that were actually beneficial were for people that actually had family. So single people are basically screwed. So you have, you know, lower end insurance. Where does the discovery of keto happen? Um, when I go to the Walgreens for my regular um, prescription refill and my bill is $1,300. Instead of um, 25 or 30. Oh, my God. Yeah. Because the insurance. Yeah. Which I understood. I mean, to be fair, I was, the state was paying the lion's share of my prescriptions before that. Um, so, you know, it was understandable, right? Um, back in my status head, back then, um, I was thinking, well, I understand this, but I can't afford it. So now what? Well, a bunch of my friends at their insistence, when I basically was crying with somebody about it, were like, well, we'll just do a GoFundMe or something. A bunch of people basically sent me money by PayPal. And I was able to That's meet. amazing. Yeah, I mean, crowdfunding, right? At its finest. Um, Seriously, yeah, amazing. I was very blessed to have these friends. And back then, of course, they were most of them were online. Um, a few people came by and, you know, give me cash, people that are, that live near me. But for the most part, I was, these are people that I met through Google and they were amazing people. And, um, I would say probably a few weeks before, after I got the insurance plan and I was paying 282 something a month, um, for about, uh, for about a few weeks before I went to pick up my prescription, I was kind of diving into this keto stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And well, actually, it was actually just before that. But I still wasn't sure that I could quit my meds. I would say it's probably three months before this all happened. Because like you said, I felt like I was being gaslit and just there had to be something else that I could do. And I did, I did casually explore Atkins once a few years back. Didn't think they were related, but they are. Um, yep. and I lost 30 pounds 
by doing low carb for about five months. And I was just, I wasn't hardcore about it. I was just like, okay, well, I'm just not going to eat bread, rice, pasta, bagels, um, sugar. And I basically ate pretty much everything else was just like all the vegetables and at the time, did you notice any easing and, of your symptoms? Sorry? Sorry, at, at the time, did you notice any easing of your I symptoms? I didn't have symptoms back then. This was before oh, my okay. diabetes diagnosis. It was before my um, my leg opened back up again. It was before all that. I just okay. decided, like, I got to do this. Um, my ex and I broke up that year. Uh, excuse me. My ex and I broke up the year I was diagnosed, but before that, we were sort of on a break. and. I just wasn't, I wasn't comfortable with my body because he was also a foodie, kind of considered himself a budding chef. So all our dates were always centered around like wine tastings and food events and this and that and the other thing. And we fed each other. Like we love food and we loved each other with food. And we both put on probably 50 pounds when we were together. So that was what kind of kickstarted me going into Atkins because my girlfriend and I were at thrift store and we were like, Hey, you remember this book? And I'm like, no. She's like, it was really popular in the '70s, and it's in reprint. And I'm like, so get it. And she's like, okay. Her and I were always, we're always interested in eating healthy. And um, well, she gave me her copy when she was done reading it, and she didn't say if she went on it. She just gave it to me one day with some other books that she had. We, I exchange books with my friends all the time. I still do that. Anyway, the point is, I didn't know what I was doing back then. I was just just trying it out. I didn't even read the whole book. I just like went straight to the recipes. I didn't really, I didn't read why. I just thought, well, if this is making people lose weight, I want to do it. Right. Yeah. So I just kind of cut to the chase. So me finding keto was a result of a lot of research online. Um, and just kind of accidentally stumbling upon YouTube videos and things like that. So I guess my path to Liberty is the same because I saw a couple of videos. One of them is called The Oiling of America. It's on YouTube. It was presented by a woman called Sally Morell, excuse me, Sally Fallon. She and Mary Ennig, who is a doctor, um, wrote this piece um, called The Oiling of America, in which they discussed and researched um, everything to do with the propagandist diet, the, the propaganda of... Um, big food and the propaganda of the change in the course of how America eats, what America eats. And, you know, basically that it was based on, um, corporations and less yes. on nutrition and less on overall health. And it was a lot of, um, introduction to Weston A. Price, who was a dentist and mm -hmm. he would, um, he would go traveling and, and exploring and studying, he made he made his life study about um, other people in other cultures and their diet and how what effect it had, if any, on because yes. he didn't know on their dental health and their um, muscular their facial skeleton Everything. formation. Yeah, and also yeah. their health too. But basically, being a dentist, that was his focus. Yeah. And what he found. Exactly. Mm -hmm. What he found was a lot more like he just, that was the tip of the iceberg. And for him, he just found way more. And what he did find was that all the ancestral and these people, all their ancestral diets varied. But the one constant was that they all didn't eat processed food. They all ate what was near them. Yes. And most of what they ate came from animals. Correct. Whether, because there was a couple of people where there was a couple of cultures that ate almost all fat and not that much protein, but they didn't eat um, any fibrous materials or plant-based materials. And then there was a culture that ate leaner meat and not a lot of fat, but mm -hmm. no plant-based materials and fibrous okay. foods. The only time you did see fibrous foods in uh, ancient diets was when they would basically eat just chew on them yeah for hours that was yeah and so part of it was like they had sort of a satis satisfaction that they were a craving that they were satisfying yeah so like cats need to scratch their claws and dogs need to dig 
and all kinds of other creatures have this sort of innate behavior that intensifies that sort of meets satisfies a need um these people would chew on things and also it helped with their dental stuff too so like yes maybe you and i use crest white strips or maybe <laughs> maybe we use dental floss these people used you know bark or roots or whatever yeah. they didn't eat it <laughs> they didn't yeah, eat it unless like it was absolutely necessary if they were in starvation mode sure they would eat plants but for compare the that to uh, yeah. how the United States health history has gone. Um, I mean, in, we were basically the same for the most part until roughly 1984. Uh, Procter and Gamble cornered a monopoly in the oil industry. They went from being candles and waxes to uh, mass producing hydrogenated cottonseed oil yeah. for mass food consumption. And yeah. literally two years later, the first recorded heart attack in the United States happened in 1896. They claimed they did. They were using the same techniques back then too. They claimed it was healthier than butter or lard at the time. Yeah. Um. And in in just over thirty years, it had become in the main oil in the U.S. And yeah, it 90, causes yeah, it was in the fifties. They were introducing Crisco to housewives and saying that it was um, the reasons that were the selling points were it doesn't um, it, it's pure snowy white. That was one selling point. Mm-hmm. Another selling point was that it had a, a slightly higher smoke point. Another selling point was that it couldn't go rancid. Not that I don't think, I think if you control the way that you render a fat, it can't go rancid either, but that's, that's a whole different topic. And of course, housewives don't know the signs. They just know what works. And so they bought into it and they decided that it was also cheaper because they could get cans and cans and cans of it instead of having to wait for the neighbor to finish harvesting his cows and have lard from that or tallow. Exactly. And it causes a baseline insulin resistance that may kickstart ki- uh, diabetes when combined with frequent and uh, significant glucose spikes. Right. And so all the stuff you just said, more better than I could have said, um, that's the stuff that I was researching when I saw this Oiling of America video. And up until probably a couple years ago, I... I didn't, I didn't care that much about seed oils until probably 2016 or 2017. I was still buying like Hellman's Mayo and I was still cooking with whatever Mm -hmm. oil. Right. But I'm 48. So I don't know how much, I mean, that's years of damage. You know, if we're reaching somebody who's 25 and they've only been eating this way for five years, they can save themselves. Right. I have a Mm -hmm. lot of damage that I don't know if I can reverse. I have neuropathy in my feet. Um, Mm -hmm. I have, and it's, it's bad enough to where I have to wear basically shoes in the house because if you can't feel your feet, you, you better trust what you're walking on. Right. Yeah. And so, exactly. so this is why, this is why it's important. People make jokes about diabetes and people getting their feet cut off and, and it's, it's, it's a, it's an actual thing. But the reason that people with diabetes have to be careful about their extremities, hands and feet is because those are the people that usually go numb in their hands and feet. And if Mm -hmm. you go numb in your hands and feet, you can get an infection if not caught early. So if you can't feel your feet and you're not, if you you just need to inspect them every day and make sure they're always clean um, and protect them. So it's not because you have diabetes that you're getting foot cut off. It's because you got something dirty in there and jammed it in your foot somehow and didn't notice it. And by the time you did, it was too late. So it's not just like, oh, you have diabetes? Okay, well, your foot's going to be gone in a year. It's not how it works. It's yeah, Foot much. health is another episode I want to do someday. Yeah. Um, my dream guest for that one is having uh, Stephen Sashin, the CEO of Zero Shoes and the host of the Movement Movement podcast. I want to have him on someday to talk about foot health. Um, and the propaganda that led to us changing foot health in a similar way that we did keto. Yeah. Yeah. So basically when I dive and dove into keto, I was finding out a lot more that I had to unlearn. So like Mm -hmm. Fathead the movie, which is sort of a funny, um, it's sort of the funny antidote to supersize me. Mm -hmm. Um, this was produced and put out and, uh, starred Tom Naughton who runs a blog called, uh, Fathead blog. Um, Mm -hmm. He's uh he's the, he's the second thing that I saw that convinced me that what I was doing was wrong and what everybody else has been doing was wrong. Um, 
and the third thing was pro it's either the obesity code or how did we get fat and what to do about it by Gary Taubes. Mm -hmm. um, those were the three things that basically brought me where I am right now. And also those three things brought me to Liberty too. So up until then I was hardcore statist. Like I grew up in a house um, whose half of my parentage was a politician and very, very democratic farmer labor upbringing. And I'm still very liberal when it comes to like how people behave and things like that. But I'm, um, I know better. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. Well, that's, yeah, it's, it's all about knowing better. I mean, that's really what it is at the end of the day. It's, um, I mean, in, 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 I like to get religious. So, uh, in the Bible, sinning is essentially described as doing what no, one knows is incorrect. Right. And when doing the same thing over and over and having the same results, you can eventually tell that the thing you're doing is incorrect. And it seems like that's what you caught on to. And you made the necessary adjustments and you sought out the truth. You found it, you addressed it and started living in accordance with the truth. And it sounds like any problems you've been having have been severely reduced since you started it. In fact, you've started making uh, a career, if not part of a career on it. Yeah, so I'm glad you pointed that out because I did reverse my blood pressure. I had really high blood pressure. Even when I was a teenager and I wasn't really quote-unquote fat yet, I had high blood pressure, which is something I want to kind of counter with because, or excuse me, I want to address because sometimes when I tell people when I, you know, who are arguing with me about keto and a lot of these people are vegans, sorry, vegans, I'm not going to dunk on <laughs> Every you. Every time. I just have to point this out. Um, if you tell them that, you know, you can reduce your blood pressure or reduce heart disease risk um, by reducing your carbohydrate intake, refined carbohydrate intake, they say things like, well, you just, you know, you lost weight. So of course your blood pressure went down. Well, oh my no, gosh. I, I gotta, I gotta disagree with you there, Mr. Plant-based guy, because even when I was um, 50 pounds lighter than I am now, or excuse me, yeah, even when I was a teenager and I wasn't fat yet, I had high blood pressure. Um, and the reason I know that is because if I would like go to tie my shoes, I could hear my brain waves. If I, you know, and I would, <laughs> yeah, if I ran exactly. a block, I would be out of breath and my heart would Or if be you stand up too quick, you get a little lightheaded. Yeah, all these kind of things. And I would be the first person in the room to complain of being too warm in the summer if the air conditioning wasn't on, you know? Yes, my face would be exactly. red and my mom would be like, I'm taking you to the hospital. I'm like, I'm fine. You know? And I just thought that everybody had that problem and I just wasn't as tough to deal with it. And I was just amazed. <laughs> like I was almost in tears because not even a few weeks into keto, my blood pressure was normal. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. And, it's and, like your body just feels normal. I didn't even, I hadn't even lost that much yet. Like, I think I lost, I think I lost like eight pounds in the first couple weeks, maybe 13, 12 or 13. But what I'm saying is I was heavier then than I'd been the whole, whole rest of my life. And well, I had, had better blood pressure. It's debilitating. Yeah. It's like somebody trying to strangle you. And, and at the <laughs> same time, you know, you're always you're always throbbing. Your body is just this disgustingly throbbing. You don't know what to do with it. You think it's that's yes. everybody and everybody. When I was growing up and we were doing PE, they'll be like, here's how to take your pulse and how to tell if you're, you know what your heart rate is. I'm like, you can feel it across the room. <laughs> I don't know why people are having this problem. I didn't understand. I thought that I thought that everybody had, you know, this problem. And I just, Nobody ever sat down and said, you've got high blood pressure. You know what I mean? And and I think there's a problem too with current medicine that some doctors aren't going to tell you that you're too fat. Some doctors aren't going to tell you Correct. that because we've embraced posit posit positivity to the point where it's killing people. Malignant and, positivity. And so there's just a lot that I've resolved. I still have weight to lose because I've been experimenting and I'm, I'm, I'm an experiment of one. I'm an anecdote. Mm -hmm. And I don't do what everybody else does because what everybody else does doesn't work for me. So when have we, you played with intermittent fasting at all? 
I absolutely have. And now that I'm almost 50, I can't do it anymore Uh. because of hormones and stuff. And also, if I want to get my 100 some plus grams of protein in in a day, it's impossible to do in one meal. It's impossible to do while Uh OMAD. And I would rather not, I would rather not waste. I would rather spare my muscles than, um, than fast. And also, um, I, I do better when I feed myself, even if it's minimal, Mm. I gotta have my protein. I was not getting, I'm trying to make up, (laughs) listen, I, I, I call myself quote unquote, practically vegetarian back then because I did eat meat, but I was grossed out by it. Most of the time it would always have to be white meat, chicken, uh, very little of it. Um, and, and, or it was like processed stuff, right? Because nobody tells you that fat-free honey ham is bad for you. Nobody tells you that, um, you know, uncured pepperoni is bad for you. Yes. Those are not ideal sources of protein. It's not a steak. It's not a piece of liver. It's not, you know what I mean? It's not eggs. Mm-hmm. And I was never crazy about eggs. Now I eat eggs every day. I'm still not crazy about them, but they're cheap and they're good for me. And I managed to make them taste good. So. Um, no, I can't, I really can't fast that much anymore because if I don't, a lot of things happen to me. My hormones are wacky. Um, I break out more. I don't know why it's probably interesting. (laughs) My mom used to say, Oh, if you have, you know, if you have a pimple, it's the meanness coming out, but I never (laughs) had acne as a teen. So it's just the weird things that she says. Um, Um, one of the reasons I mentioned is, uh, over the age of 55, there are more and more doctors who are recommending at least once a year doing a single 48-hour fast to kick your body into autophagy, which for most people, their body never reaches. So um, some of the problems resolved with autophagy, disconnected muscle fibers, um, they get absorbed by autophagy. Right. Um, dead cells or non-reproducing cells, they get absorbed by autophagy. You know what else does? Skin tags. Mm. Yes, yes. I had my dad do a 48-hour, and he literally woke up in the morning after the second uh, night, and he had like a little, you know, a few skin tags just laying there. The best way for me to fast is to not be at home. There you go. And I'll tell you why, because everywhere I go is garbage food. (laughs) Exactly. When I'm at home, it's easy for me to get fat, because all my keto stuff is here. My keto stuff, I don't want anybody to envision... Uh, jars or bags with the word keto on it. I eat whole foods. I absolutely, if you looked at my fridge right now and you were like a teenage boy or my sister, you'd be like, you have nothing to eat. <laughs> I just, like everything in there is a hunk of something that's not in a can or a box. I have to cut it and prepare it and, you know, make it taste good. And so it kind of pisses people off when I have recipes that are like more than five steps and a few ingredients and yeah, it's not open a can, a box, a bag. I, the only product that I swear by right now is egg life wraps. That's it. Those are awesome. The tortillas made out of egg whites. Yeah, those are those things are amazing. I uh, I had a few of those, and I love making quesadillas with them. There you quesadillas go. Quesadillas are one of my favorites. There you go. Yeah, that works out really well because they kind of crisp up in the pan a little bit. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I made um. I made tacos with them the other day and then Ooh. I made, this is going to, this is going to sound like some vegan woo woo shit, but I have had mm-hmm. eggplants that I had to harvest and do something with. I'm not a huge fan of them. Somebody gave me a plant. I'm a survivalist slash prepper. I'm doing what I can with what I'd have. Mm-hmm. Um, I made Maria Emmerich's um, keto refried beans with eggplants yesterday. Mm-hmm. They're amazing. Very nice. They're, Very I wouldn't nice. eat that them with, good. I wouldn't eat them by themselves. They're just okay. But if you smear them on a, a, a crisped up egg-like wrap and put your grilled chicken or your taco meat on top of that, it's, I swear to God, you wouldn't know the difference. That's awesome. <laughs> that sounds really good. Yeah. So. Um, let's see. Here. I made, well, I also made the homemade version of those and I'll let you know how that goes. Cause they're in the fridge. Okay. Yeah. That sounds awesome. $5.99 a pack is a little expensive. My mom was a five-star chef. Um, wow. so it's uh she taught me basically everything she she knew i used to work for her at a mega church when she was the chef there um so i i've i've been playing around with a lot of ingredients one of my favorite things to do to stay within keto is take any meal that's traditionally served over rice and don't serve it over rice 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. One of my favorites is tomato, chicken, and rice. You just make sure you use a little enough tomato that it's not super sweet. Um, okay. Use a little bit of pepper. And then I usually use uh, uh, fire roasted tomatoes. Yum. I crush them. I will uh, lightly grill two different types of meat, normally a chicken and maybe a pre-made sausage Dirty keto, whatever. They're Andouille sausage. I like, I like, I like my Cajun food. Um, I was gonna say that sounds very Cajun because they'll they'll mix chicken and shrimp, uh, chicken and Andouille. Yep. Um, probably pronouncing that wrong, but yeah, that I was gonna say it's very Cajun sounding. That sounds pretty good. I'm not usually a big fan of chicken and tomato unless it's like a Mexican or a Cajun type thing. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's one of my favorite combos as long as you have enough cumin to pull it off. I was just going to ask you what you season it with. Um, I do many, many seasonings. So right now I've actually been on a kick of cumin, saffron powder, paprika, and obviously stewing it with bay leaves for about 30 minutes. Saffron, you're a baller. Um, yeah, uh, that one's from my mom. <laughs> she had that like a package of saffron <laughs> no it's not and she got me a big thing of it too i think it like, should be it's probably a currency right now right i mean it was yeah. ammo and then it was lumber and then it was canning jars and now it's saffron. <laughs> um and then my other thing right is now. i like to <laughs> no no not at all that's funny um the uh my other favorite one to do with is i don't know if you've ever uh played around with 18th century style cooking Ooh. Um, there's a YouTube channel called Townsend's. Oh, they yeah, have I'm been aware. doing I'm I'm kind of a I'm a casual fan. Okay, they're awesome. So it, I don't know if you remember it, but there were these old memes about the same spice combo being used in like eight episodes in a row. Oh my god. It was ginger, allspice, and nutmeg. Oh, that wouldn't surprise me. It is an amazing combo on any meat, no matter what the meat is. So Pork, ginger, allspice, steak. nutmeg. Yes. That sounds very, very little nutmeg. Oh, it's so good. Sounds very Jamaican. I like to put allspice in my, um, I make a beef empanada that's keto. And if I add allspice, it's almost like a a Jamaican beef patty. Oh, that's awesome. The only thing that's missing is like a scotch, scotch bonnet. (laughs) There you go. Those aren't really local to me though. All right. Well, um, let's see here. We are nearing the end of our hour here. So I usually like to end up as why have I decided to include um, the curse of the pharaohs, um, which started in ancient Egypt, the first known uh, recording of a heart attack or, or sorry, of diabetes was in ancient Egypt. Um, and we've decided to use the food pyramid to describe it now. So why have I decided to include this as part of the body of the Antichrist? Uh, mostly lies, propaganda, deception, um, the suppression of scientific research, and cultural backlash against it. Um, what, do you, what do you have to think to say about the, the cultural effects of, of this food pyramid style diet? When you mention the pyramid, I <laughs> I can't help but think of the Illuminati because the internet is ruined. <laughs> the internet has ruined me. Triangles everywhere, man. <laughs> um, I think that I think that there are there were some people at some point. There are still some people at some point who who have good intentions, but who really don't know shit. And mm-hmm. excuse my French. And the um, the unfortunate side effect is a lot of people. In the past almost hundred years now, dying of of preventable disease, and I'm sorry we didn't really get into disease because I know in the pre-show we were talking about maybe touching on that. Um, a lot of a lot of the modern diseases that almost everyone dies of are completely preventable by lifestyle choices. Yes. And so sorry, go on. Yeah. And so I can't help but it. I was hoping we'd kind of go down that path a little more. So that's maybe better saved for another episode, but yeah. I, I'm, and obviously we could talk about this all day long. Um, Absolutely. I, I think took, both of us could. Took a little long um, getting into my disgusting story and apologies to anybody who might've been eating lunch at the time. <laughs> no problem. Um, well, uh, thank you very much for coming on, Bobby Joe. Um, why don't you go ahead and tell the kids where they can find you on the internet and what projects you have coming up, coming out? 
Well, you can find me uh, at Ketolicious, and that's ketolish.us, so K-E-T-O-L-I-S-H dot U-S. So Ketolicious, if you can remember that, how clever that is. I'm just patting myself on the back here. Um, <laughs> and that is where I store all of my recipes. I always post a new one as much as I can every week. So watch for that on Fridays. There's also a, um, a subscription option. So if you're looking at a recipe, you can find that on the sidebar. And mm -hmm. um, there's a site map and an index of all my recipes. And I've also written a handful of articles about kind of the stuff that me and Awi have been talking about. Um, and a lot of tips and tricks for people who are starting keto or maybe have been doing it for a while. Um, I've been doing it since 2016. So I just celebrated my fifth ketoversary. And Woo. yeah, in June or May. And um, you can also find me in, on Twitter at Bejerino, B-E-E-J-E-R-E-E-N-O. Because it's and Bobby Joe. Of course, I put the links in the description on both Podbean and my website. Thank you. Um, I'll do that. Um, thank you very much for going on here um, with me. Uh, I, everyone else, you can follow me at oeui underscore live on Twitter or by going to oeui dot live. Um, and the IHTA podcast the links are there. I also hate the Antichrist. That's why we are here to express just how much we hate the Antichrist. And in this situation, I believe between the lies, the propaganda, the deception, the suppression, the cultural backlash, the amount of physical damage it's done to our bodies, I think that the uh, curse of the pharaohs is absolutely part of the body of the Antichrist. Again, BJ, thank you very much for coming on. And thank you, everyone, for listening.